Amen? Amen. It is so good for us, and so what a blessing it is for us to live in the time in which we do. The, things are difficult in the culture that we live in, but our God is a gracious God, and he has poured his grace out for us that we could be partakers of that grace. Is this thing on? I mean, this would be the best news that we've ever heard. The fact that God has poured out his grace and God has given for you and me something that we could not get in our own. Something that the word of God in the Old Testament, all it did was reveal to us that we could not earn this on our own, that we couldn't do it on our own, that we weren't good enough, that we can't be good enough, and we never would be good enough. And by God's grace, he poured out for you and I his loving kindness through his son Jesus Christ when he came to this world and came into this earth, came into our lives. After his life, his crucifixion, his death and resurrection, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to bring grace into our lives. And then he says this. He says, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works that any man could boast. He's saying, I've made a new way, a way of grace, a way of grace that would fulfill all of those things that your works, your life, that your trying and your efforts could not do. And we live in that time today. And we have to realize that and understand that. We, sometimes, I think for many of us, it just seems too easy. Or in our minds, we think, well, it's, that's just not fair. How, how can, and again, it comes that way when we think, you know, well, how can it be that, how can it be fair for this person who's done all of this over here, all of that over here? They've done all of these wicked things that I would never do, yet God forgives them with the same grace that he forgives me for the little sins that I have in my life? Yeah, all of them except for the pride that you just rose up in. We, we walk in this time of grace, and that's where we have to understand that. But our natural tendencies aren't always to walk in that grace. Our natural tendencies tend to, as Martin Luther said, to, to default to religion. And so Jesus is confronting this in the sermon that uh, I want to share. We're going to continue. You can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to continue on in that. Again, I want to encourage you, go to the app. In there, there's sermon notes. And inside those sermon notes, you will find some fill-in-the-blanks. You'll find all of the notes that you'll need to be able to, um, uh, to, be able to you know, go to your life group and follow along with everything that's happening in the life groups. And so I, I pray that you will uh, do that. So go check out the app. You can follow along on the screen, however you deem to find best for you. In Luke chapter 6, we talked and started talking about this last week, about this whole topic of legalism. This place where legalism, where the law, where not, not necessarily the word of God, but the things added unto the word of God, which became traditional, uh, traditional ways of dealing with things, and tended to come to this place where Jesus is confronting legalism. And he's confronting legalism because legalism is the enemy of Jesus Christ. And it's, again, you cannot read the Gospels and not see that. You, Paul talks about this in Galatians. He talks about it very strongly and very straightforward. Who bewitched you? Who cast a spell over you when you were first saved by grace that now you think that you should go back and begin to mutilate your body or begin to walk by the works of the law? And they handled it very, very strongly. And one of the things, and I talked about this last week, one of the things that legalism or religion tends to do is cause us to default to this place where we begin to live by this paint-by-numbers life. And I showed you the pictures that, uh, you know, drawn. And this paint-by-numbers life is oftentimes, it, it, we prefer that because sometimes we don't really know what to do. We don't know what to follow. We don't know where we are. We don't know how to, this grace thing, how do we do this? And what's going on with this? Just tell me what to do. And we like that place where we can just fill in the blanks, color in the numbers, and then then I know that I'm okay. I, I know that everything's good because my picture looks just like everyone else's picture. 
And you know, your picture, your religious picture can look just like everybody else's picture, yet absolutely nothing changed or transformed or going on in the heart. The things that we do are out of a, a place of, of necessity, not a place of joy. It's, not, it's because our hearts aren't transformed. Let me just say today, God's not impressed with your religious picture or your religious life. He's not impressed with what goes on on the outside. What he cares about, and the Bible says, Jesus said, he looks upon the heart. He cares what's going on in here where grace works. And so uh, we talked about that last week, and that's all I'm going to really say on this. But then it, we, we, have to de- we had to deal with this because all of this was going on. This place of confrontation was happening on the Sabbath. The battlefield is on the Sabbath. There's this battle that's happening, but the real battle is not about the Sabbath. It's on the Sabbath, but the real battle is about this whole topic of legalism. And so I want to take today, I want to take a little bit of time and learn a little bit about legalism, those places where we add to or make addendums to the word of God because we think that's what it says or we think that's what we've been taught. And, and understanding that today we live in this dispensation of grace. Yes, we do obey the word of God. But there are places where many people believe that some of the things that have been added to the word of God are actually the word of God. And Jesus is teaching us that it's not. So a couple things about legalism that we'll look at today. One is, that, is this. Legalism, Jesus is teaching us through these scriptures here. One is that legalism will make you bold. And listen, there, there is no humility in legalism. It's all about what I follow, what I know, what I do. And in places, in legalism, all I have to do is make myself a little bit better than you. And if I can make myself a little bit better than you, then I'm okay because I'm better than you are. And I can always default to that. And so we we have got to understand that those are places of pride in us. Pride that says, well, I'm better than you, I'm good enough, I'm all all these things. And legalism tends to then make us bold about that. Look at what these guys do here in Luke chapter 6. In verse 1, on a Sabbath, so again, here it's on the Sabbath day, the the holy day. We we talked about that, are not holy, set apart to be holy. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Let's pray. Lord, as we venture into your word, I pray that you help us to rightly divide it. That God, you would take this word today and minister to our hearts, to our souls, to our spirit, to our life, to our choices, to our decisions. And let me see the truth, Lord God, of what you're sharing, what you desire us to receive. Lord, I open my heart to you. Speak to me today, Lord. Let me have some understanding of your word. And I thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So all these things are going on. This whole thing is happening. And here again, we meet the Pharisees. We're going to meet the Pharisees a number of times. And later on in the chapter, we'll meet these guys that are called the scribes. Now, just again, I talked about them a while ago. I'm not going to go into this deep. But the, the, the scribes were those guys. They were the leaders that were the real formally trained. To be a scribe, you had to be 40 years or over in that day. And they were formally, theologically, professionally trained. So they're kind of the, the queen bee. Everybody, all the, it all centers around them. And, and around them come then the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees, sometimes they had professional training. Oftentimes, they were trained up as apprentices. And they were trained up as apprentices under the leadership of these formally trained scribes or the, the queen bees. And so um, they, they often weren't, though, formally educated, so they received that. And they're the, kind of like the swarm, the swarm of bees that swarms around the queen bee. And what they would do is they would take whatever the queen bee said and they would take those teachings and they would go out and basically they would swarm around the other religious leaders. They would swarm around the traditions and the classes and come in and begin to infest and begin to influence all of these meetings. And they would come in and oftentimes in that religious overtone, and we see this over and over again in scripture, what they came in and the desire that they had was to come in and to criticize and to sting and to kill. I mean, that is what the letter of the law 
can do. And so in this story here, what's happened here is that Jesus, it's on the Sabbath, and at that point, again, talked about that last week, this is on a Saturday, and it's a Sabbath, and they're walking through the grain field, and they begin to pluck some of the grain. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, where in the Old Testament, in the law, there was a provision that was made, and in that provision, if you're walking through somebody's field and you're hungry, you, in this provision by God's law, you could pick a little bit of the food and you could eat it to sustain yourself if you were hungry. Now, it also says you weren't allowed to go into that field and bring a bushel. You, you weren't allowed to collect it. You weren't allowed to bring your winnowing fork into somebody's grain field and rob them. But to reach out and to take some for your own hunger and own provision, this was not a, uh, there was a provision in the law. So these guys weren't doing anything that was wrong. This was a generosity provision that was made in the Old Testament. So again, I want you to see, they were not disobeying the law. So they're walking along, they're coming through this grain field, and all of a sudden, they, you know, the guys are hungry, and so they reach out and they start to pick some of these stalks of grain. So they got this grain in their hands and they, they begin to rub it because that's in that day, that's how they would separate the chaff from the grain and they would rub it together. And what they were doing was they were preparing a meal because they were hungry. According to the religious people, you're not supposed to prepare a meal on the Sabbath. It's all supposed to be done the day before and you're not allowed to eat a meal that's cooked on the Sabbath. Because the Bible says you don't work on the Sabbath. But if you look at that word in the Hebrew, and, I mean, you can find it in Genesis chapter 2, you'll find it in Deuteronomy, you'll find it in Exodus. It's the same Hebrew word that's used throughout. And what that word means in the Hebrew is it means occupation or business. God wanted us to rest from or to stop or cease from our business, our occupation. That's what God's word is telling us. And God, let me just also say this. God took it very, very seriously. This was not something that was just like, oh, you know, he said, if you don't do this, they should be put to death. So God is very, very serious about the Sabbath, about the re reality of what he's calling us to. But the religious people, they came along and they began to make addendums to the Bible. They actually have made a 39-point checklist that describes what work actually is. And they, they've made their own little checklist of all of these things that, that would signify what work is. And so when they looked at Jesus and they looked at the disciples walking through this grain field and they're picking the grain, they looked at him and they went, aha, you are, look, one, listen to what they're doing here. They, they're in this whole thing. They're reaping. That broke, they broke our rule. They broke this law. They're threshing. They're winnowing. They're preparing food. They broke four rules right there as they're walking through the field. Can you imagine this? They were incest, and they came to Jesus, and they approached Jesus. Listen, where did they approach Jesus? In the grain field. What were they doing in the grain field on the Sabbath? They're out there in the grain field. They're just following him around. You know what? They didn't want to hear from Jesus. They wanted to find something that was wrong. I find this totally amazing that it's okay to hassle God on the Sabbath, but it's not okay to make a sandwich. Uh, it just blows my mind. But that's religious people. And today, in social settings, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, blogs, that's like crack for religious people. They just get to sit back and they get to binge feed and watch and see what everybody else is doing and cyber stalk. And they're, they're gonna you know, find everybody that's celebrating Christmas or they're gonna find everybody that's doing this or that's doing that that doesn't agree with my rules. And again, there's this place and that's what they do. Come on there, there's this pile on. And so here... Jesus is walking through the grain field. And the people come to Jesus and the, the, the religious people come to him and they say, you know what? What you're doing on the Sabbath, what you're doing is unlawful. They're, that they're telling Jesus this. What you're doing is unlawful. How bold. I mean, really, 
to walk up to God and say, you're wrong. I mean, you, you, can you imagine? You walk up to Jesus, God in the flesh, and you disagree with him, and you just assume he's wrong. Which, again, is very prevalent in the culture in which we live today. We have disagreements with people, and the first thing we do is we just come to this assumption, assumption that they're wrong. Why? Because I'm right. And we put ourselves in that place, and that's what these guys are doing. And they're like, um, hello there, God. You know, God, that you did this. You, God, you broke one of our rules. You did something that we don't think is right. And you know, I mean, can you imagine looking at God and do that? Do you think Jesus cares about their rules? Yeah. Do you, think that, do you think that Jesus cares about your cultural opinions? Uh, no doubt about it. Jesus, yeah, look at what Jesus, he looks at these guys and he's like, um, you know, guys, I, I, I'm sorry. I am, I'm really sorry. But I made the heavens and the earth. And I made the scribes I made those, you know, those scribes who made that list? Well, I made the scribes. And because I made the scribes, I know very well, 100% sure, that I did not give them that list. And, and he's like, that isn't from me. And what's happening? You know, religious people can get really bold. Have you noticed that religious people can just want to follow you around, get up in your face, try and just assuming inside this disagreement? They don't want to hear your side. They just want to assume that they're right and you're wrong. And that is what happens. And I will tell you this. If you succumb to that, if you give in to that place where you start to believe in the, the, the religious rules that people lay out before you, that you're not following this or you're not following that, and you come into a place like the Galatians did, they will rob you of your joy. They will rob you of the freedoms that you have in Christ, the freedoms that God gave you in the grace he shares with you, in the mercies that he gives you. You will, you will find that it will rob you. And again, this might blow some people's minds. I, I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure that I said this. But people, you, you can be really bold and still be wrong. Okay, just because you're bold, does, I mean, the bolder I am, the more right I am. You know, the, the better debating I am, the more right I am. If I can convince people to what I believe, then I must be right. And so we get really bold about things and bold. And these people were so bold. Let me just say this. Some of you need to stop letting yourself be bullied. You need to stop being intimidated by your coworkers. Stop being intimidated by your friends. Stop being intimidated by religious people. Stop being intimidated by your family. Don't let yourself be intimidated. These people were so bold. You know what they did? They confronted Jesus to his face. I, I come and just, I mean... This is just crazy. That, honestly, it's the indication that there's a serious problem here. There's something really wrong. And they come in, and I want you to see this as well. They're not accusing him of disobeying the law because Jesus never disobeyed the law. He never broke the law. He never committed a sin. You know what they accused him of? He accused him of disobeying their laws. He never did break any Bible rules. Never did he. But I will tell you this. He did, still will, break a lot of religious rules. Amen. So, it will make you bold. The other, next thing, number two, is legalism will make you unbiblical. Look at what, I love Jesus' answer here in verses three and four. And, and Jesus answered them. So they confront him, and, and Jesus answered them. And he says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God. So he came in the, the, the tabernacle. He took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those with him. 
So, you know, and just in there, he's looking at this whole thing and he's saying basically, hey, you know what? You guys have a lot of rules, but your rules don't agree with the Bible. So you have a dilemma. Church, when your rules don't agree with the Bible, you have a dilemma. When people's rules don't agree with the Bible, there's a dilemma. And the dilemma comes down to this. Do you keep the rules or do you, and, and disobey the Bible? Or do you keep the Bible and repent of your rules? What are you going to do? I mean, we all have those choices because we all have this place where we want to default to these religious things. It's just part of our nature. And I love the way Jesus handles these guys. Because, you know, look at These guys are talking about things that aren't in the word. And so what does Jesus do? He brings them right back to the word. He brings them right back. Okay, you got a bunch of rules. And, and that you can, you know, that you can't eat a meal if it's prepared on the Sabbath. If it's not prepared the day before the Sabbath, you got all these rules. So, and then Jesus, he doesn't argue with them about their stupid rules. What Jesus does is he takes them back to the book that his father wrote, the book that he wrote. He takes them back to what, what he wrote. And he says, okay, guys, let me just bring you back to this. Do you guys remember what I wrote in 1 Samuel chapter 21? And he brings them right back. And they, they would have recognized this story. He takes them back to the story about King Saul. And King Saul was the anointed king. And when King Saul started off as the anointed king, he did pretty good for a little while. But then he got weird. I mean, he got filled with a spirit and he got crazy. The guy just went cuckoo. He went nuts. And he got, in, in the madness of his heart, he began to chuck spears at David. He wanted to kill him. Started, I mean, everything was, it wasn't about the enemy. It was all about killing David. Why? David was anointed to be the next king. David was the new king. David and his mighty men now, they're running. They're on their run from, from, for their life. They're, they're trying to stay alive. And so they're running from their life on the Sabbath. And it doesn't say this in 1 Samuel chapter 21, but I bet there was some religious people around that were saying, oh, you're not allowed to run on the Sabbath. Like, I'm running for my life. He's got swords and spears, and they're trying to overwhelm us and kill us. We need to run. And so they did. He's running for his life. And he shows up on the Sabbath at the tabernacle, and he goes to the priest, and, he, and, and basically, again, you can read the whole story there. He goes, this is the priest, Amalek at Nob. He shows up at the tabernacle, and he goes to him, and he says, hey, look, you know what? We're all starving. We're out of provision. We don't have any food. We've got nothing. We're running for our life. Do you have anything to eat? And the priest says, you know what? No, I, I, I don't have anything here. The only thing I have is the bread of the presence. Now, the bread of the presence were 12 freshly baked loaves of bread that every Sabbath they were replaced. And the fresh loaves of bread would be specifically stacked on a gold, fully gold table. And then the, new, the old loaves would be taken off and those were the loaves that the priests could eat. So there was these 12 loaves that were replaced every single week. And again, they represented the fact that God is the provider and that we are all totally dependent on him. And again, no one was allowed to eat that bread except for after it was taken off the altar in a week and the priests were the only ones because they were the holy men who were allowed to partake in that bread. And the priest says, this is all I got. All I got is this bread here. And then he goes to David and, and he turns and says, are your men holy men or not? He says, have they been, have they been abstaining from women? Have they been keeping themselves pure? And David says to him, yes, we, we love the Lord. We have not been with women. We've been keeping ourselves pure. We're godly men. We're serving God. We're on a mission from God. We're just hungry. And the priest takes the bread of the presence and he gives it to David and his men to eat on the Sabbath. Now, the question is this. Did they sin when they were eating the bread? Did the priest sin when he gave them the bread? No. You know, there's a lot of thought that goes into, you know, what 
this story? Why did Jesus relate that story? Why did he use this in this? And, and an analogy, one of the analogies, and I think it's just really uh, profound, is that in this whole analogy, David, David is the one who has been anointed to be the new king, that he would bring in a new kingdom. And Saul, he was the one who represented the old authority, the old kingdom. And when Jesus used this analogy, it brought in the comparison that in this time today, Jesus, he's the anointed one. And he came into this world to usher in a new kingdom and a new way, a new breakthrough. And the old, the law, it represented the old authority, the old way that was being ushered out. Praise God for Jesus our Christ, the Messiah. Amen? So Jesus, in that he says this, Jesus says, you know what, basically, you know, my guys, this is the story of David, and I'm greater than David. I'm the one who came through the line of David, and my men, they're greater than David's men. And the priests allowed him to eat the bread on the Sabbath. Surely, surely, it's okay for us to pick a few heads of grain. And to take a bite, to have something to eat on the Sabbath. We're starving. And Jesus, we know, was not disobeying his father. He wasn't disobeying the law. He wasn't sinning against God. He was abiding, he was abiding by the Sabbath laws. But not the man-made traditions. And what he was revealing is that God, he, our God, he loves mercy. And so God, a God who loves mercy, cares more about people than your silly traditions. And we see here that what happens is that oftentimes to, to be and to continue in our religious way, we have to become unbiblical because the rules that are made in religiosity and tradition are made outside of the Bible. And then we enforce those rules outside of the Bible. And inevitably, it paints us into a corner where we have to start disagreeing with the Bible. Or rewriting the Bible to mean what we want it to mean. And, and God's pretty clear about what he feels about that. It makes us unbiblical. The third part that I want to share with you is that legalism can make you arrogant. This is what my favorite line out of the whole thing right here. Jesus in verse 5, he says, And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And that's Jesus' statement. But how arrogant are they? They come to Jesus, the Son of Man who is Lord of the Sabbath, and they come to Jesus to argue, not to listen. They don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. They want to catch Jesus in what he's saying that's contrary to them. And the first thing he says is this. He says, I am the son of man. Now, we sometimes don't understand that. They fully and completely understood what Jesus was saying there. Because when Jesus said, I am the son of man, there's a lot of religions today that use that statement as a reason why they don't believe that Jesus truly is God. Because it tells us right there he's the son of man. And that's used as a reason. And what they neglect to see is that it's a, it's, a, it's a title that he uses out of Daniel chapter 7. And it's a title for the Son of Man. He is the one that was with God the Father in eternity past. And Daniel chapter 7 describes that. And describes how he says that the Son of Man will come into human history as God become a man. And he will rule and he will be king. They knew that when he said son of man, he was declaring himself to be deity. He was a, it was, listen, this whole thing was a messianic title of deity. And that's exactly what he was saying to them. And they knew what he was saying. And Jesus, he says, I am the son of man. And he's saying, that's me. That's who I am. So don't argue with me. Listen to me. Stop fighting with me and follow me. And here's a mind-blowing thought that Jesus would say to us. And if we disagree, assume you're wrong. That's not so easy to do. 
Oh, we still, we, we, we like to keep some of the traditional things that we have in our minds from things we learned when we were growing up, things that we don't even know what the background is or what the history is or the root of it is. We just believe it. And you know what? You, there are many who come here today and there are many of you that probably come in and you know what? You don't agree. You don't agree with Jesus. I don't agree with the Bible. And there's a lot of things that we do that in in the culture in which we live. I don't agree with what, I just don't agree with what Jesus says about homosexuality or gay marriage. I just don't agree with some of the places where Jesus, where he talks about women. Ouch. (laughs) If you don't agree with Jesus, assume you're wrong. Assume you're wrong. It's just such a place of pride and arrogance to think, well, that's just Jesus' opinion. Well, he didn't live in the culture that we live in. He, he didn't, he just, that's just Jesus' opinion. And you know what? It was 2,000 years ago. He didn't know what we'd be going through. The God who does not have, the God who was there before eternity began and, and it will be there after eternity. I mean, how does it end? But he is there through the spans of it all. Yes, it was. Amen. The God is not bound by time. Listen, if you think to yourself that that's just Jesus' opinion, because if you think that's just Pastor Mark's opinion, I've given you every right and asked you, please, Show me in the word where I'm not right. Because I want to rightly divide the word. I don't want to be wrong. I work really hard to do my best I can to make sure that what I'm doing is dividing the word of God rightly. So this isn't about whether Pastor Mark is right or wrong. This is, listen, if, if you've got an opinion about Jesus, let me just say that Jesus is right and you're not. Okay, Jesus, honestly, really, God, he's like, I'm God and your opinion really doesn't matter. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. And so he says, I am the son of man. And then he goes on and says, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, not only did I come here to bring salvation, am I the son of man? Am I the one who was before time and after time? And I'm the one who came as God into human history. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am God. I am the, hey, do you know the whole seven day thing? Jesus says, that was me. That whole day off thing, that was me. And all the book, the, everything that's written in there, that was me. So, I get to decide what's acceptable and unacceptable on the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. I'm the one who will dictate that. But the religious people, they're so arrogant, they put themselves in position where they're even willing to judge God. They're here, they put themselves in a place where they're sitting in judgment over God. And religious people, if you will allow them to, they will put you on the defensive because they will start to judge you and they will judge you in a hardcore fashion and make you give an account. They don't want you to give an account to the truth of the word. They want you to give an account to them, not to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you will find yourself, you know, I mean, all of a sudden, you're trying to earn their favor. You're trying to be approved of them. All of a sudden, all we want is, I just want to hear from this person or this religious leader. All I want to do is hear from them, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not about Jesus anymore. And that, church, is incredibly arrogant. For anyone or anything to assume the position of God, let me just tell you, Jesus will not tolerate it. He won't let it happen. And he he just isn't going to, even in all of this, these people have assumed the position of God and Jesus. He doesn't appeal to their authority. He doesn't like give them a nod. He doesn't accept their theology. Instead, Jesus does this. He gives them the invitation to acknowledge him as God, become a man. I am the son of man. Will you trust in me? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In church, this is something that we have to hear. If he's Lord of the Sabbath, 
that means he's also the Lord of all the other six days. Which means we can't think that we can just come in here and worship him as the Lord of the Sabbath, but then go live like heathens the other six days. Some people, though, and this is where it becomes difficult because our pride doesn't want us to ever admit I'm wrong or I this or I that. I, we become so filled with pride that we'll stand up for something even though we know it may not even be true. And one of the things about people that, that are walking in those places of legalism is, man, they are so self-confident, so bold, so arrogant that, man, they can make you think, you know, gosh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe I do need to do this. Some of you have come across religious people in religious circles. It's like, man, they, I mean, they are so convinced that they've become convincing to me. We have to be careful about that because it wants to take us away from the grace that God has saved us by. And the last point that I want to make, and I'll, I'm going to take this point and really dive deeper into this story next week. But I want to um, look at this next portion where Jesus is on, it's another Sabbath day, because this is really important. Because legalism will make you unloving. It will cause you to care more about the law than the people that God came to save. And this is what it says in, in verses 6 through 10. On another Sabbath, he, again talking about Jesus, he entered into the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now, again, I doesn't say, and I, this is just speculation, but it doesn't tell us, you know, why that guy was there. Was he somebody that the scribes and Pharisees had brought in as a plant? Let's use this guy to catch Jesus. Watch. Oh, he can't help it. He's going to do something good on the Sabbath. <laughs> And the scribes are there, so the queen bees are there, and the Pharisees are there, and they're swarming all around, and they're all watching him to see what? To see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. <gasps> what a horrible thing. Oh, my goodness. You know, it, what, this is, again, this is just what makes me crazy about this. So here they are, the religious people the religious leaders, and they are in the Sabbath for a worship service, and none of them are interested in, in worshiping God. All they're interested in doing is catching God at saying something that might not be right. You know why they were in church that day? They were in church for the same reason they were in the grain field. They just wanted to find out something that was wrong. But Jesus, he knew their thoughts. And again, the word tells us he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to the man with the withered hand. So Jesus was teaching. They were probably all sitting at that point. They would stand for the word and then sit for the teaching. And Jesus was there and he calls this man and he, and he calls him to come and stand forward. And Jesus says to them, he says to all of those people that were there that day, he said, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful to save life or to destroy it? You know, he's pointing something out. You guys have made your rules more important than people. And he's pointing this out to them. And he makes this statement to them, and then he stops, and it says that he stands there, and he's looking around at them all. I think he waited until, I don't know how many people were there that day, but I think that he waited to where he had eye contact with every single person that was there that day. He stood, and he looked them in the eye because he wanted to see what was in their heart. He wanted to see through the gate that reveals the heart, and he wanted to see what was going on, and he had eye contact as he looked around at each and every one of them about this, this question question that he asked, are you going to make your rules more important than people or are people more important than your rules? And he looks at them all and I think he knew the answer. And so he says to the man, stretch out your hand. This man 
who I think it was a stand of faith when he stood up. And now Jesus is asking me to, to take the part of my being, the part of my body that I have hidden, that I have kept disclosed from anybody, this part that I'm embarrassed of, this part of my body that I don't want anybody else to see, this part of me that I just have hidden all my life, and he's probably always walked around with his hand in his cloak or kept his sleeve pulled over. He's not wanted anybody to see this defect that he has, and now Jesus is calling me in the middle of this place, in this middle of this divisiveness. Jesus is calling me to hold my hand out And he does it. And he did this, and his hand was restored. Amen. Praise God. The Bible said no work on the Sabbath. <laughs> Do you know that the religious people, not only did they have this whole thing where they had added these, these 39 addendums to what work was, they also had emergency medical rules that they were allowed and not allowed to do on the Sabbath as well. So, I mean, in these emergency medical rules, think about how nice this was of them. If a woman was giving birth on the Sabbath, people could help them. I know. I know. My, my heart just... Oh. If there was a bad accident, they, they could help them. But pretty much other than, than basically other than that, there was, that was, nothing was allowed on the Sabbath. And they had all of these rules that they had to follow. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about some of that stuff next week. But right now, I wanna, I wanna wrap this up by bringing us back to one more way in which the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the religious folk, the legalists, one of the things that they use to bring intimidation or to work through. And that is something that worked then and it still works today. Probably most of us have been influenced by this. And it is called the fear of man. The fear of man. You know, Proverbs 29, 25 says the fear of man is a trap. It's a snare. It's there to try to catch you. It's trying to take away your freedom. This fear of man. And one of the ways that they operated in this fear of man, I mean, let's face it, where is, where is like... Where is the place that all of us hope and pray that we do not ever get confronted with something that we may have done wrong or somebody that might want to argue or debate with us? Where, I mean, that most difficult place there is in a crowd. I mean, most of us, I mean, we're just, you know what? We don't like to even talk in a crowd, let alone to be confronted in a crowd. Yet, isn't it amazing that that's where these guys continually confronted people, continually confronted Jesus? They make scenes in public because they know most people, they're, they're afraid of that. And so this fear of man comes over. That's why in public forums today, one of the most public ways in which we see people gather together now are on you know, blogs and and Facebook, and Twitter, and, and Instagram, or, or they'll come to church, or come to a church meeting, or show up at a Bible study, or come to dinner at somebody's home. They will swarm you, and they'll swarm you at work, in front of people, swarm you around others, or surround you, and swarm you, like families do at a family holiday dinner. Swarm with an audience in order to pressure you. And the desire is to get you to be able to back away from grace, to back away from the grace that God has given you, to compromise. You know what? The idea is to get you to be quiet. Because ultimately, the goal is to take the Holy Spirit's place in your life. To lead you and to guide you and to get you to do what they want you to do. Oh, and you won't do that? Well, let's just sting you some more. Let's just sting you some more. Let's just cast you out some more. Let's just, let's just do these things until you tap out, until you give up, until you just shut up. And so they're always picking fights with Jesus. They're always doing this where there's a crowd. And here, the easiest place to do that is on the Sabbath because there's a nice audience that's there. And I want you to see this because this is important says they did not come to listen to Jesus. They came to find fault with him. Worship team, would you come back up? 
Church, let me ask you to do this. Let me ask you to examine your own heart. Where is your heart today? Where is it? And I'm going to say this full well knowing that I have every propensity within me to make mistakes. Far, 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 far from perfect. There are many of you in this place today that are way smarter than I am. You probably could be a, and would be a better public speaker than I am. Um, probably have more compassion than I do. Probably have more uh, all sorts of things. I understand that. But God has put me in this place. And I'm the pastor. And I work very, very hard every single week to do the best I can to rightly divide God's word because I want you to have truth. I don't want you to have my opinion. I work really hard at making sure that, it's, that, that I'm not sharing that, that I'm trying to do and say what the word of God has to say. And if you believe anything else about me in regards to that, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong place. You need to get yourself under a pastor that you believe is doing the best that he can to rightly divide the word of God so that you can have the truth and have that truth that will bring life to you. Okay, I, I, I want you to have that. And I, I full well know that if that's not what you're here for and not what you believe about me or what you think about, then, man, you need to find a place that you do. And if I get totally out of line and where I'm going and where I'm teaching and all of that, I know that there are wonderful ones around me here that will come and share with me what the Word says about things. I want to know what the Word says about things. Don't bring me your opinion. If you don't like something that I shared or divided in the Word of God, show me in the Word of God where I'm wrong. I don't want to be right. I want to be one who rightly divides the word of God. I don't want to hear from you. Well done, good and faithful pastor. I want to hear before God when I stand before him one day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm not going to compromise the few years I have here with you so that I can compromise the eternal life that I have with him. But when you come into church, and I'm asking you to search your own heart today, when you come in here and you hear me preach or you hear me teach or you hear somebody else in the pulpit that's preaching or teaching, are you listening? Are, are you learning? When you come through those doors, are you coming to listen and hear? Or are you coming to criticize and pick apart? Now, again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to get anybody not to share with me when things are not biblical or, or a different biblical approach. And I certainly know that, again, it's Jesus who speaks through us, but it's Jesus, it's the word of God that we need, not the word of Mark. But God is using Mark to share the words of Jesus with you and to rightly divide that word and to share that with you. So when you come to church, you can come a couple of different ways. You can come in looking for what God wants to do. There are two ways that you can go to church in spiritual growth. You can do it in, the, in this positive way or you can grow in a negative way. You can come into church and find everything that you disagree with, everything that you can criticize, everything that's negative, everything that's wrong with the service, everything that's wrong with all the things, everything that's wrong with pastor, everything that's wrong with... Or you can choose to grow as God has called us to and to take the spiritual approach of humility. And that's the way in which we'll see positive growth through the church. Because, you know, in this, what is the first question you ask when you come in? I say, listen, when you come into church, the first thing we should be asking, and if you can't do this, then there's, again, a problem in you. It needs to be dealt with. But the first thing we should be asking when we come into church is, okay, God, teach me today. 
I am here in a humble way. I want to learn. I want to hear you. I want to hear what pastor has to say. I want to take loss and I refuse to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I am just going to find, Lord God, what you're sharing with me. And I know that you're going to speak something into my life today. And then second, Lord God, show me through the message today. Show me my sins. Show me my faults. Show me my flaws. Show me, Lord God, those places where I have failed, those places that I can grow. Show me those places where I'm making decisions and choices and opinions that are outside of the Word of God. Show me, God, those places so I can repent. Our third approach should be, show me, God, where I can take the message and use it in the lives of those that I love around me the people that you bring into my life. How can I use this when I leave this place? How can I use this in the lives of others? And then the fourth thing, and if there's something that's wrong, if something that's askew, Lord God, if there's something that's dangerous here, something that's unbiblical, show me, God, so I don't fall into error. I don't want to fall off of the right path. Show me, God. Knowing that this is what we all want. Man, don't just come in and say, hey, you know what? If I disagree, they're wrong. And the reason they're wrong is because I am right. And God has sent me here today as judge and king. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that they have me. Look, when you come, are you coming to listen? Or to criticize? Are you coming to find what's helpful? I mean, I, I would hope that there's a grain of sand in every sermon that could be helpful to each person. Are we looking for that? Are we searching for that grain of sand that can become a pearl in our lives? Or are we just coming to critique, to find fault, to find something that's wrong? To, and I can do it because, well, let's face it, I'm always right. Kind of like the Bible. Church, the Pharisees, their hearts were bad. Their hearts were unloving. And we're going to see this in the way in which they even respond to this man that is healed. These guys had an, an opportunity to hear from Jesus. Do you know today, and again, I say this in humility. Do you know today... You came today with an opportunity today to hear from Jesus. Not because I'm Jesus, please, but because I've read the Word of God and we're talking about what Jesus said. He is His Word, the Bible says. You had the opportunity to come today and to hear from Jesus. They had that opportunity, and you know what? They refused to hear a word He had to say. And I'm sorry, but people still today in church do the same thing. Come into church and refuse to hear what God has to say. And often, it's simply because all I'm trying to do is find out what's wrong. And if I can't find it, I'll make something up. To criticize, to, to pick apart the teachings of Jesus. They're just trying to find fault. And let me tell you, there is no fault in Jesus' teachings. There is no fault in Jesus' teachings. There is no fault in any of Jesus' teachings. There is no fault in anything that Jesus said. No fault in anything that Jesus did. Jesus, his actions, his teachings, his speaking, his professing, his calling out was perfect in every single way. There is nothing that is inerrant in anything that he said or he did. But the rest of us, not too hard to find fault and again especially in me I'm the one who has to stand up here and talk to you for an hour of course you can find something that's wrong in something I said and sometimes I know if you're looking for something that's wrong I know I full well have the ability very easily to put my foot in my mouth and to say something that makes it really easy for you to find something that's wrong and if you can't find something, call me on Monday. I can tell you on Monday all the things I wish I wouldn't have said or should have said. Church, if you want to find fault with me, you're not going to have a hard time doing it. 
But if you came here to hear from Jesus, you will find that God has a perfect word for you, something that he has for you each and every day because Jesus loves you more than he cares about the rules and the law, more than he cares about everything else. Listen, Jesus cares more about you receiving the word than he does the broken vessel in which he desires to pour it through. I fall short every single week and I have to just go to God and say, Lord God, love them more than I acted like it this week because I don't deserve to be used in that way, but they deserve to hear from you today. So God, use this broken vessel to bring life and perfection to those that are in need. Let them hear what you have to say. And use a a cracked pot to do it. And I say that, again, I've told you before, I am not, I promise you, I am not being prideful or arrogant in any of that. I know that God can speak through a donkey. If God can speak through a donkey... Praise God. Here I am, Lord. (laughs) We're not inerrant, but the Bible is. And as a teacher, and I'll just say this and we'll close with prayer. As a teacher, I know I am not inerrant. I am not perfect like the Bible. And church, just as imperfect as I am, so are the hearers. over the years we have to submit ourselves to what God says to receive the grace that he's poured out and not allow ourselves to go back into a religious cycle that takes away the life that Jesus Christ died to purchase for you and me oh he's by grace we have been saved he said to Paul my grace is sufficient God has given that grace to us so that we could enjoy, so that we could partake, so that we could realize the fullness of life that Jesus purchased for you and for me. And it's only by grace. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you and thank you, God, for what you have done in our lives, for the provision that you have given, for the way that you move in our lives and in our hearts, God. What a privilege it is. Lord, I don't know why, It's a privilege, Lord, to to be born in the blessed nation that we live in. But, Lord, that's nothing compared to being born again unto eternal life. That, God, this is no longer my home. That when I close my eyes here, I have the promise of eternal life. Not because of my works, not because of what I did, not because of my membership in the church, but because, Lord God, of what you have provided through grace church being a part of the church won't save you you can go to a new life every weekend and still go to hell Jesus Christ saved you and if he hasn't yet he's here today by grace for all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved have you come into that place of grace Are you still trying to color inside all the lines and get your religious picture right? It's not about that. It's about where you are right now. And will you hear him calling on you to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I receive you. Lord, I want to do it your way. I've assumed the wrong. I want to do it your way. God, if there's any that are here today, I pray that you would minister to their hearts and lead them today, Lord, to call out to you. Just tell them right now, Lord God, I realize I, I'm a sinner. And the rules I've been following have not been helping me on my insides, not in my heart, not in my soul. And that's where I'm broken. That's where I'm hurting. Jesus, if you can, come into my heart. Reveal who you are. I trust in you as my God, and I need to be forgiven. And let him. And minister to you. You see, church, this whole thing of grace, the, the, the law, the law wants us to focus on what we've done wrong. Jesus, in grace, wants us to focus on what he's done right. 
So it's not about me trying to stop doing this or stop doing that. It's about me saying yes to grace. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. I receive forgiveness. I receive cleansing. I receive your blood. I receive, Lord God, what you have done for me. I receive the life and life more abundant that you provided. I receive the call in my life. I receive, Lord God, the call to come follow you. I receive eternal life, God. I receive the promise of heaven. I thank you, Lord, that I receive this restored relationship with God my Father. And that leads us out of darkness. It's not about trying to stop this or stop that. It's about realizing who we are in Christ and receiving the grace that says, Lord God, where else can I go? You are the one with the words of life. And I choose today to say yes to you, Lord, because of how good you are. He's not here to beat you up like religion is. He's here to accept you right where you are and to begin to work His transforming power in your life from the inside out. Just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Just tell Him today if that's you. Just tell Him, yes, Lord. Your spirit alive in me. Oh, that's his desire in us. My life to declare your promise. My soul now stands. So I'll walk upon salvation. Your
So now go live those words. Go be the church. Go be those who are redeemed. Go be those who are light. Go be the gospel. Go be what you just sang. God bless you. I love you. Have a beautiful day. Make sure you find a life group and get yourself plugged in. God bless you. Stay with our time.